This is the Living Vertizano podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today focuses on Matthew 24, 36-51, continuing Jesus' response to his disciples, addressing when they can expect the end to come. Together, we will be discussing the importance of keeping watch. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast, and we are excited to be here with you this week to continue our journey through Matthew. Um, as a quick reminder, last week we began our conversation on Matthew chapter 24, specifically looking at verses 1 through 35. Uh, and as we looked through these verses, um, we read about how Jesus called his disciples' attention to the things that were to come. And with that, uh, we talked about the importance of focusing on Jesus as a means of preparation for faithful living, uh, regardless of what might be going on around us. Uh, This week, we're going to continue Matthew 24, uh, really finish off Matthew 24, by looking at verses 36 through 51, Um, where Jesus continues his response to his disciples. Um, He now turns to address when they can expect these things to be happening. Uh, I believe we have Brittany reading for us today. So Brittany, would you read Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 51? Yes. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding With a hand mill, one will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for the servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly I tell you, I will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away a long time. And he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thank you for reading that for us, Brittany. Um, So before we jump into a conversation on... um, our observations or what we're hearing Jesus say through this passage. Uh, I'd like to just quickly state um, as we've spent, as I've spent more time with this passage, um, 
last week we talked about how uh, it was the title of it is the destruction of the temple and signs of the end times, and how that title can somewhat be uh, misleading in a sense because we just we we focus so much on the end times conversation and allow that to be the thing that tents the rest of the conversation. But uh, last week in the the split that exists. Um, between last week's uh, verses and this week's verses, verse 1 through 35 and 36 through 51, uh, actually tease out that uh, differentiation that Jesus is talking about. And so his disciples ask him two very pointed questions. When will this happen? And the this that they are referring to, Jesus has just said that no stone will remain on top of the other. And he has just said that the the temple and the temple grounds are going to be completely decimated. And so they ask, when will this happen? And so his conversation in verses 1 through 35 is a an answer to that particular question of when will this happen? When will the destruction of the temple happen? Which is... Uh, him prophesying, right? Because it is in the future for them, but it's in the near future for them. And now as we turn to verse 36 into 51, he begins to address that second question of, um, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So last conversation was more of a immediate answer. Um, and, and this conversation that we're going to have today is Jesus having a more potentially distant uh, conversation with them where we're not really sure what what time it, it will happen, but this is more that conversation on the end times. So with that, um, what are you guys seeing? Uh, what do you guys have questions about? Let's just jump right in. When I look at that first verse, um, to me it just um, reiterates what that first um, 35 Versus, kind of the theme was um, to kind of not pay attention to necessarily what the the signs are, but um, more just make sure that we are faithful. Um, you know, it says, "But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father." And it's kind of interesting because Jesus Himself is telling them, "I don't even know." Yeah, and so with that, like Jesus just jumps in and immediately starts uh, communicating the signs that they can expect with the, with the end times. And he starts by making this statement that um, essentially it's going to be as it was in the days of Noah. Um, And so people are going to be living their lives, minding their own business, paying no attention to God, just caught up in their own, in their own thing, in their own ways, only caring about themselves um, and I mean, it, verse 38 says, uh, people will be eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, uh, up to the day that Noah entered the ark. So like life is just going to be going on, um, as usual. Um, and they knew nothing about what was going to happen and, and you will know nothing about what's going to happen. Um, until it says, uh, till the flood came and took them away. And he, Jesus then goes on. And so it's with this frame of the story of Noah in mind. And I think those words being very important, this idea that those that did not enter the ark were taken away by the flood. So it says exactly the flood came and took them all away. 
because the next statements that come out of Jesus's mouth are these statements, uh, two men will be in a field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken, the other left. And so if we hold those two statements in uh in connection with what Jesus has already been communicating through the story of Noah and specifically use that word taken uh, to hold them together, we know that the people who did not enter the ark, who were taken by the flood, were those who were actually, I mean, they were destroyed and they were experiencing the judgment of God. And so if you carry that down then, I have always read this passage and read, you know, that two men are working in a field, one will be taken and the other will be left as the one who is taking is the one who is being rescued, the one who is experiencing deliverance. But as I hold it in context, in line with what Jesus is actually saying about Noah and saying it's going to be like that, I have a whole new perspective, a whole new understanding to what it seems like Jesus is trying to communicate through this. And he is saying that in that day, right, that the end times, the the time where I'm coming back, two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and that one that is taken is taken because of experiencing judgment, experiencing destruction. And, And two women will be grinding with the hand mill, one will be taken, the other will be left, and that one that is taken is the one who is experiencing judgment. And destruction. That's, I, I think the word that would often be used is we, I, I think we've always thought about them as the ones being raptured, the ones being rescued, the ones being taken. But when we hold it in context, in the passage, you know, in what was said immediately before this by Jesus, we begin to have a different understanding come into view and recognize that rapture really isn't part of the conversation right now. We are having a conversation on judgment and destruction. And that's kind of what carries us then on into the further conversation that Jesus has. Yeah, I think that that probably challenges my commonly held notions of that, this idea of rapture versus mm-hmm. judgment. And um, I guess as, as we continue reading, then kind of looking the same way at verse 42 when it says, therefore keep watch um, and keeping, holding this this view of what we do know, which is about Noah. And that's the example Jesus has set forth. Um, Noah was the only one keeping watch. Um, He was the only one paying attention to God and what God was doing or what God was speaking or what God was asking of them. He was the only one working to be obedient. And the rest of the world was going about their lives just kind of, I guess, ignoring the existence of God, maybe not aware of the the existence of God, or at least if they were aware, not caring too much about it, not mm-hmm. allowing it to impact their lives in any sort of way. And so this, this warning from Jesus then I think has this whole new, I guess, meaning for me to slow down and pay attention and watch for him, watch what he's doing. Am I continually aware of his actions? Am I continually listening for where he's looking to lead next? Um, because I, f- I feel like otherwise we might miss it. Um, we might miss opportunities that then result in 
judgment for us, judgment for another. And I just, I don't want to miss a thing. And I know this is a conversation that we've had on this podcast before, but I feel like this theme is kind of reemerging in a new way to me through this passage, um, in lieu of what we've just discussed about this, this day of judgment. Well, and I think that even like when we think about the story, specifically when we think about what Jesus is stating about the people who experienced the judgment and destruction in the story of Noah, he doesn't really say anything negative about them. Like he doesn't report their wickedness. He's really just reporting they weren't daily watching. life. Yeah, they weren't watching, but he's just reporting daily life. And so like when you come down to what you were just talking about, Natasha, this idea of keeping watch, like it is very easy to forget to keep watch when we get distracted by just the everyday life that we live, going to work, eating, drinking, marrying, giving a marriage. Right. Just, just like the, the, the routines and the rhythms of life can be so distracting and so loud sometimes that we forget to keep watch. And Jesus is warning pretty heavily here. Like you have to keep watch. You can't let the this the the rhythms of life be something that distract you and lull you to sleep of what is coming. When you guys were talking about that, the 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 lyrics to the song "Slow Fade" kept going through my mind, and thinking about like when you take this the owner of the house and knowing that there's a thief. I think um, it's easy for us to kind of get in that rhythm, and it's easy for me to think, okay, um, I feel safe. My, you know. I, I think that nobody's going to come into my house, so I just go to sleep. I don't make sure my windows are locked. I do not make sure my my doors are locked. I just I don't make sure my cars are locked. I just go to bed, and you know maybe nobody comes, but maybe somebody comes. But the thought is is that I feel so laxed in um you know because my house has never been broken into before, so I don't think that, that it's a threat. But my husband doesn't feel that way. He makes sure that our doors are locked, our windows are locked, our cars are locked, like multiple times before he goes to bed. He makes sure those cars are locked. (laughs) But, and if he's not there, it's not my routine. So I'm just going to just, nobody come break in my house, but I'm just (laughs) going to, I'm just going to go to sleep because that's his routine. Um, But I think it's important that anybody who is in that house, so this house, this, this body, this, this vessel that Christ has given me whether it's not guarding myself against what I look at on social media, whether it's not guarding myself against who I talk to, how I talk to other people, that's a little way for, quote unquote, a thief to get in and start working the, the way into my heart. And if I'm not taking my thoughts captive, if I'm not listening to what Jesus is saying to me, that is very, very easy to happen. And I would say a lot of times in our society that that is how things get to that level where you're like, how did, how did they get there? You know, they were doing so well. Well, it just takes a little bit. Mm-hmm. You said you, you talked about falling asleep, like all these things that, that, uh, that you do before, you know, you go to bed and it, and like versus what I do before I go to bed and you just go to sleep and don't think about them. But the, the term keep watch, like, um, when I was studying in, in the Greek, it can kind of be translated to um, what it, hold on one second, I'll, I'll read here what it says. Um, it often meant to stay awake. 
so it's easy. Like, especially like I find it super easy when I, when my head hits the pillow, I am out, I'm going to sleep. And sometimes like I can walk through life doing the same thing. Like if I'm not careful, I can just let my head hit the pillow and go to sleep because I get caught up in all these things that, that happen that, that, you know, we've already talked about life just happening. And if we're not careful as life happens, um, kind of like we talked about last week, like Jesus can leave the temple, his presence can leave and we don't even notice it. And like, I know that's kind of a callback, but it, it really is true. Like if we're not careful and we fall asleep, we have, we, we, we stand a chance of, of his presence, you know, being removed. And so it's so important that we are constantly being faithful. Like we talked about last week, this is a, a journey that we have to be faithful and preparation is so important. Not, no, not so much preparation in like looking for signs, but preparation in our heart, like being prepared to listen to Jesus, um, respond to Jesus and do what he's asked us to do. Even when in like Noah's case, nobody is listening to what Jesus is saying. Like even if nobody else is doing it, we still have to do it. So we, we have to remain awake even when nobody else is willing to. Yeah, I think we just really have to be aware of his presence with us all the time. Jesus, as he continues into to verse 45 and then really to the end, end of this uh, chapter here, he continues to illustrate what it looks like to be continually aware of the presence, to be continually waiting in expectation, to be continuing to walk while watching, while wa- being, watch. b- yeah, yeah, being awake, yeah. Um, not falling asleep, as, as you mentioned, Derek. Um, when he talks about, when he talks about the wise and the faithful servant, he's speaking about a servant who's waiting expectantly for the master to return, who keeps the household in good order and is, is prepared at any moment for his master's arrival. And this is, Jesus kind of reveals that this is his obvious expectation for those who would call themselves followers. Um, And then he contrasts this to help us to see the difference with a unfaithful and wicked servant who takes advantage of the fact that his master is not present. He ignores his presence, essentially. He goes to sleep. He fails to keep watch and he does all the things that he wants to do to make his life fulfilling in his own eyes, but misses every opportunity to serve his master in the way that his master would have hoped. Mm. And Jesus, he, he doesn't pull punches here. He talks about the judgment that will come and brings this passage kind of full circle right back to where we had been. And he makes the statement that this servant will be assigned a place with the hypocrites. And Jesus has just in, in chapter 23, he, he started kind of this, well, I guess he concludes his conversation really directed towards the crowds, but also kind of bringing the Pharisees and the the teachers along. So, so everybody's there, right? Everybody's present. And he has these seven woes and these woes are addressed to the hypocrites 
And so everything that Jesus has just warned about, he's Mm. saying, look, if you don't keep watch, if you live a life that isn't aware of my presence, if you're not, if you're walking through life asleep, not paying attention, not listening to me, not holding every thought captive, not, not uh, trying to live your life moment by moment in accordance with my will, this will be your fate. It will be that of all these woes that I just described and discussed. Um, and ultimately there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, when you were talking about this, the, the juxtaposition of the two different servants, um, the thing that came to mind was the faithful servant is the one who continued to serve. The unfaithful servant is the one who tried to push position himself in the place of being Lord. So one lived a life of servant servanthood, even in the absence of his master continued to serve both his master and those around him cared for them. I mean, it says it that, um, he was specifically, what, what is it? Um, put in charge of the servants in the household to give them their food at the proper time. Right? Like that, that's, that was his job. That's what he was supposed to do. So he served his master by serving those around him. Like he was a servant of all. That's what the faithful servant looked like. But the, the wicked servant was one who began to, to beat his servants, began to lord this position over the servants, began to uh, do things in such a way that they benefited more from their position and their power and their influence. And essentially, he, he was attempting to assume the position of Lord, assume the position of master. And so when I like step back... I, I think I see the connection that, that you're making as well, Natasha, with the woes. I mean, like Jesus did not pull any punches with them. Like he was definitely coming down on the Pharisees, calling them out for not doing what they were supposed to do. And I think that there is that in view here where Jesus is is essentially saying like, Pharisees, you're kind of like this wicked servant. You had a position that you were called to and you used it for your advantage. You put yourself in the position of Lord, but rather than majoring on the conversation there, like I want to bring this all the way forward to us and the life that we live, you know, we've been talking about the importance of keeping watch. Okay. Also talking about the importance of, you know, moment by moment, listening to Jesus, but I can't help but come back to the question, and I'm sure many people would want to ask, okay, but but what does that actually look like? Like tangibly, how do I understand what it might look like? How, how do I know if I'm really hearing Jesus properly? And I think that this passage begins to give us a, a, an idea, a very general idea, but an idea nonetheless of what it looks like for us to be that faithful servant who is listening to our master, Jesus, and it ultimately is going to look like one who serves him and and serves those around them who is never trying to put themselves on a pedestal or allow others to put themselves on a pedestal, not wanting to take the position of influence or power, not willing to use their, the position that they have been given to benefit themselves. Like that is what a faithful servant looks like is one who serves. I think, I think as you were talking about 
the wicked servant and how the unfaithful servant and how he placed you, you made statement that he placed himself as Lord. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that is the piece that is so prevalent and it's so easy. We have a Lord, we have a master to serve. And as we become distracted by all the things of life, we begin to either make ourselves Lord or make other things in our life Lord, but they take the place of our true Lord. And so we find ourselves in this position really of idolatry. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is, this is a constant temptation. Um, it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian following Jesus for a week, or you've been a Christian following Jesus for 45 years, it still is a daily battle of remembering who is Lord. Because if we can position ourselves properly relative to this Lord of our lives, then we serve. Mm -hmm. I feel like Jesus has ended this chapter in a similar way that he began the chapter. And so when the temple seemed to play such an important part in what they were trying to share with Jesus. He told him about the destruction that was coming to the temple. And here at the end, when everything else is the focus, destruction is what is coming. And so um, as we've like alluded to this whole time, it's just that intentional keeping our focus on Jesus. But I also saw... Um, something else. I feel like Natasha, you talked about this expectation. And I feel like this is where sometimes like as leaders in the church, we don't always do a great job of helping people um, recognize this expectation that we need to be prepared for the master to come back. So the house has to be in order. Like whatever he's tasked us to do, we need to be doing it. Otherwise, if we're not, we're like the other the other servant who is lording over. And so helping people with this, I mean, yes, being prepared, but this expectation that we're going to, you know, if we're faithful, much like was talked about earlier in the chapter, uh, verse 13, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And I feel like that's kind of, that's kind of like where Jesus, he's kind of like bringing back what he's already talked about earlier in the chapter, if we stand firm, if we're like the faithful servant, if we have this expectation that he's going to return, then we should be living our life like the king is coming back. And um, otherwise, we're going to be, our, our fate's going to be like the temple. We're going to be destroyed because we've allowed, you know, the things that we're doing to it or the things in our life have become the Lord, as you pointed out. And to your point, Nick, I feel like you you made the statement that this this when we talk about living moment by moment, or we talk about making other things Lord or putting Jesus back in his his rightful lordship position, we 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 talk about these concepts in abstract form, and we don't necessarily talk about what this looks like in practice in in my life, right. And so I think it would be important for us to maybe have a little conversation for us personally about what this looks like to 
keep watch? So I think that first it, it looks like a, there's an initial recognition of the reality of his presence, the reality of his reign. And um, in, in the church that would be like understood of as um, salvation, like this, this choice, this, this place where I repent and I know that I'm wrong and I know that I've been trying to make myself Lord of my life and, and I, I shouldn't be because Jesus deserves to be Lord. And so it's this, this place where I come to realize Jesus as Lord and recognize that I want to subject myself to his Lordship. And so it's no longer my desires or my, um, thoughts or emotions that matter. Now it's, it's Jesus and Jesus only. And so when I have a thought, right, I'm going to not act on that thought until I've had the, the taken the time to say, okay, Jesus, is this a thought that you would have? If I have a feeling inside of me before I act on that feeling, I'm going to go to Jesus and say, is this feeling of you or is this one of me? Before I act on a desire that I have, I'm going to go to him, right? Like it's just this continual going to him. And so I guess literally and concretely what that looks like for me, um, and I am imperfect in this and I'm still really trying to work at this because I do recognize Jesus as Lord of my life. For me, the biggest thing is my words. Like before I speak, I need to be speaking slow enough that I am saying, Jesus, is this what you want me to say? Like, can I actually, the the practice that I regularly use is, can I actually picture Jesus saying words like this. If I can't hear Jesus saying these words, then I probably shouldn't be saying them either. And so that's, that's one way in my life where this, it it looks like, like always keeping watch. I, in that specific example, I am keeping watch over my tongue because it's very easy for me to allow my tongue to get ahead of where Jesus is trying to lead me. I think for me, it takes to get to the point you're talking about, it takes an incredible amount of discipline. And sometimes, oftentimes, I find myself lacking the discipline to even slow down enough to have those conversations. And so I think my heart and prayer and the part that I, I really am working on with Jesus is developing that discipline to have enough self-control to slow down enough to take thoughts, emotions, desires, and, and ask him about him, have, have that conversation. Because oftentimes I just skip right over that step. And every time I do, I see, I see the death that it causes and it may be in small ways. Um, but there's always something that isn't, it's less kingdom like because I didn't slow down. And so I think for me, it really is recognizing that Jesus has, his time for us is sufficient. And so if he doesn't need to move, 
at breakneck speeds, then neither do I. And so I have to have the discipline to slow down, to have the conversations you're talking about. Please understand, just because I said those conversations uh, are what I strive for, that's what my heart is set on. That's not always what my practice exemplifies. So I am by no means perfect at this either. Please don't hear me saying that, oh yeah, every word that I say is only a word that Jesus says, um, because that is something that I'm definitely working on as well. And we probably live in a time that's not much unlike Noah's, where people are doing everything that they're doing, and we live in a in a world that's so fast paced. And like what Jesus is asking us to do is countercultural mm-hmm. in slowing down to listen, um, because you know we live in a time where everything is is like you were the opposite of what you were saying. So it is like breakneck speed. Like we're trying to get to do things quicker than somebody else. Um, it's like black Friday shopping or something like that. (laughs) Um, but what Jesus is asking you to do is like, like search out every sale. Don't just go to the one you think is the best in that sense, search out everything. Listen, look, don't be so quick to like go to the first sale you see at target or Costco or wherever you may frequent Sam's club. Yeah. But honestly, we, we, we live in a time where everything is so fast paced and we're all, it's, I'm not much unlike that master sometime who, when, or that servant who, when the master's away, I try to try to find a way to, I don't know, almost like take the easy way out. Yeah, I think what you said there is probably an important thing for us to really key in on. And and you said it in the midst of what you were saying, and it was very profound. Like what Jesus is calling the disciples to hear, what he is identifying as a faithful servant, is a countercultural person. We both inside and outside the church, have been so lulled to sleep by the rhythms of life that we are not keeping watch. Jesus is calling us to wake up. Find ourselves as being countercultural. Slow down. Not allow... The, the speed and the pace and the rhythm of life to, to put us to sleep, but slow down enough to be able to hear him and see him and follow him. So that way, when that day comes, we're not the one who's taken away. Be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.